been in a series called Perfect God in an Imperfect World. And this morning we're going to look at spiritual warfare and how God takes our trials and our temptations and he turns them into blessings. We don't know why sometimes we face some of the things that we do, but we face some major battles from time to time. And this week, um, we had a victory in our lives, and um, I've just asked Becky to share a little bit about some news we got uh, for Josiah in North Carolina this week. So tell them what happened. So if you don't know, we have a three-year-old grandson that was born with a genetic birth defect. He has diamond black fan anemia and leaf Romani um, disorder. And so we had been praying. They, they were scheduled to move a couple of years ago. There are 10 babies like that known in the entire world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with a combination of both of those things. We had been praying. The, the military kept trying to move them somewhere else, and we were going, no, they need to be here because that's where the best doctors are. And, and it took almost a year of praying and just, you know, we'd, they would get orders and say, you have to be there. And we'd go, no, you're not going. You know, this is, you're going to this place because of the doctors. So we just kept praying. And this week I was able to go with Dana to the neurologist that we've been trying to get them in with at North Carolina uh, University through Duke. And we've been trying to get in with her for a long time. And she sat there on the floor with this baby. And she looked up at us and she said, there's more going on in that head than he can communicate. And she drew pictures for us. She showed us brain scans. And she said, we were like, okay, well, they keep telling us that he doesn't have enough white matter in his brain. And she said something that we had never been told. She said, white matter can rejuvenate gray matter cannot. And I was like, why didn't somebody tell me that? Because that's what I would have been praying. But because of the... By the way, way, don't get on to me for being loud anymore. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) It's his turn. So she just shared with us some things that because of the anemia in his body, the white matter in his brain is not rejuvenating and the white matter is like the conduit where all the messages go through and she said the messages are there the brain is fully formed they're just not talking to each other so I was like you know Dana and I came home going yay and and then it was like okay now what does that mean that just means God's not done yet no he's not amen and we don't feel it and we don't see it He's still the miracle worker, the way maker. And there's some medication that... Yes. Can you tell them about that? They're going to start him on a... Well, two things. A trial medication that will help start helping his body fight this anemia. Um, and they're also going to put him in a clinical trial for speech development. And we looked at the neurologist and said, okay, when will we know if he's in the trial or not? Mm-hmm. Because there's like all kinds of people wanting to guess. And she said, I'm the director of the program. He's in the trial. Come on, Victor. (laughs) I get emailed every week from a lot of you that you pray daily for Josiah. And I just want to encourage you. God's answering those prayers. We get email from across the country for people who know about Josiah. There is nothing impossible when we pray. There's nothing impossible when we pray. But I really kind of just feel checked in my spirit now. Some of you need a miracle. And if you do, don't be ashamed. Would you right now, you say, Pastor, I really need a miracle. It doesn't have to be just for physical healing. It could be for anything. But would you stand and let us pray for you this morning? Would you stand up right now if you need some God to do a miracle in your life? Amen. Now, I I don't want to make any of you uncomfortable, and I'm looking. I don't see anybody that I haven't met, so you're back. So that means you know we do things just a little bit differently around here. So I'm going to ask folks to come and just stand with you and pray with you right now. So would you, if you see somebody standing in your section, would you just slip over and lay hands on their shoulders and You don't need to talk to them, but just pray with them right now. And sweetheart, would you lead us in prayer, and then I'll close in prayer. 
precious, precious Father. Jesus. Lord, before we even stepped foot into this room today, you knew each need. You're the way maker. You knew each miracle. You knew each heartbreak that would stand You're the here. Miracle worker. And we call upon your name and the power of your presence. Hallelujah. We call on your sweet Holy Spirit. We call, oh Lord, Hallelujah. on the fact that your son literally took beating in his body. Yes. And he said, because of these stripes, you were healed. Yes. And Father, we just, we just stand with our brothers and sisters this morning. Holy, holy, God, holy whatever the miracle, you are the way maker. You are the one, oh God, that steps in and intervenes when there is Hallelujah. no way. Hallelujah. When the people would look at us and say, don't even ask God for that. Yes. That can't happen. Those are the times that you shine the best. Yes. And Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus to meet to heal, to intervene, to give peace, to give wisdom, and to put the people in our path that we need in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I ask you that everyone here that is in need of a miracle will just slip underneath obediently your hand of blessing. Yes. Lord, to lay claim to the promises in the Scriptures. Father, to obey the commands of the Scriptures. Lord, to slip into that place, O oh God, of covering where your blessings are showered down upon us. I pray against those lies that people have been told that God doesn't work miracles, God doesn't heal. There are some things you just have to accept. Lord, you said, ask whatsoever you will. Lord, that woman reached out to you in faith and touched you. That blind man cried out, Lord, have mercy upon me. And I can't find one recording in the New Testament, Lord, or even in the Old Testament, where you did not respond to faith and touch and heal those who called out to you. And so whatever the need is, Lord, whether it's emotional, mental, mental financial, or even physical this morning, or spiritual, Lord. Somebody may be oppressed spiritually this morning. I'm asking you in the name of Jesus, would you touch them? And just as Steve and the team sang just now, you are the way maker. You are the promise keeper. You make a way. And we call all of these things done in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen, amen. amen and amen. Let's give him a hand of praise right now. I love you. Thank you. God bless you. You can be seated and um, let's get right into the message this morning. Pastor Corey read to you about how Jesus was praying and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. I think there's a key right there, and that is, and Mark, thank you, dear brother. I think that key right there is when the people of God are praying, we can expect the work and the intervention of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to me that Luke, listen, Luke, and this, Luke is the only writer to mention that Jesus was praying. But Luke is also the New Testament writer that writes most about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The book of Luke, the book of Acts. And there, as Jesus is praying, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. When Jesus ascended and went back to heaven, he told his disciples, over 500 of them had seen him, he told his disciples to watch and to pray. He told them to keep praying, but only 120 are found in the upper room when the Holy Spirit descended. There is a direct connection between prayer and the working of the Holy Spirit. There's a direct connection between prayer and the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. But when you experience or encounter the Holy Spirit, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything is going just the way that you hoped that it would go, or that everything is going to be smooth sailing from right there. Those of you that stood this morning, I looked around, and I'll do my best to remember as many as I can while I pray this week, but you stood this morning, you love the Lord, you welcome the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life, but the fact that you stood this morning says you recognize that things aren't always easy because when the Spirit of God begins to work, the enemy will also begin to try and work because he wants to contravene what God is doing. So what I'd like to do this morning is go back and finish reading the rest of this passage of Scripture 
And if you would look with me again at Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says that even though Jesus was hungry and he ate nothing, the devil said to him, and you go, Pastor, do you believe in a real devil? Absolutely. Jesus believed in a real devil. I believed in a real devil. And I know I meet people from time to time, have conversations. They say, you really can't believe that there is a real devil with horns and a pitchfork and a red tail. I said, no, that was the medieval church's way of mocking the devil. But I do believe in a real satanic being named Lucifer. And we'll talk about that <clears throat> for just a little bit in a few moments. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, say that with me, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you worship me. Jesus replied, read it again with me, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off, read it please, for the scriptures say, how many of you know even the devil knows the Bible? Hmm? I mean, he sees what Jesus is doing, and sometimes he will give you back Bible, but he's always going to misquote it or misuse it. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Well, the scripture does say that. But Jesus responded, and he adds a word here, so read it with me. The scriptures also say, say that word also. also. Look at your neighbor and say, did you know that word was there? The scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. I would remind you this morning that Jesus also taught the early church, and I mentioned it just a few moments ago, that we must be watchful in prayer. And sir, I'd like to speak to you as men for just a second. Every man in this room I think that's a real word from heaven for you and I as men this morning, as husbands, as fathers in our community. God calls us to be watchful over our marriages, watchful over our families, watchful over our nation, to be watchful in prayer. God has placed you there to be a covering. And if you're a single mom or a single woman or a widow here this morning, God has put the church here to be a covering over your life. And so you'll understand what I'm saying there more in just a few moments. Number one, Satan always attacks me in three areas of my disciplines. Three areas of my discipline. You can always count the enemy's going to attack you. And these three areas aren't necessarily bad areas. It's what you do with those areas. He's going to attack me and get me to try to question the Word of God. Now, in the New Testament, we get the story of Jesus, the second Adam, being tempted in the wilderness. Those of you that know your Bibles, you're very familiar with how Adam was tempted in the Garden of Eden. He and Eve were tempted in the Garden of Eden in a place of paradise. They had no needs. They were not hungry. We don't even know the kind of intellect that they would have possessed before the fall. None of us, even those of us that have been born again, are able to use the full capacities of the mind and the brain that God has given us. But Adam and Eve, <clears throat> who had not sinned, were not in any way limited because of the destructive effects of sin that came into the world. And there in paradise, without need of anything, there the enemy came and he twisted the words of God to Adam and Eve and tempted them in an area to become like God. And then he also lied and said, you will not surely die. And sometimes, if you're not careful, the enemy will try to get you to misuse the promises of God, and that's what the devil does here. Yesterday, I just wanted to hear someone that has been a lot to me over the years, and on YouTube, I have discovered through my children, there's all kinds of things that you can watch on YouTube. I did not know you could go back, and I went back all the way to the 1980s. How many of y'all know that our clothes did not look good in the 1980s? 
How many of you are old enough to remember when your hair was down over your ears? And I was looking at videos from the 80s and laughing. And I told Ben, I said, Ben, I had ugly pants just like that on. He goes, no, Dad, please. You didn't have those on. I go, yeah, I paid good money to wear those kind of pants and thought they were cool in those days. But anyway, I was looking at some of those videos, and so I decided to look up the church on the way. Pastor uh, uh, Jack Hayford, which is one of my heroes growing up, and I looked up and was listening to some of Pastor Hayford's message. I looked up Dr. Paul Walker, who pastored the great Mount Perrin Church of God in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was just looking up and just having a ball, and it's like I discovered a, a treasure chest of being able to go back and look at these old messages. Well, when I looked at those things, I realized just listening to some of the messages, one of the cool things about the Word of the Lord, styles have changed, hair has changed, but the Word of God has not changed. And as I listened to Pastor Hayford, as I listened to Dr. Walker and just kind of recounted and remembered those days, I realized I'm still preaching the same Word of the Lord that I grew up with. And the Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And not one crossing of the T, not one dotting of the I is ever going to pass away. You can count upon God's words. And those promises of God are so very real for us. But there was a revival back in those days known as the Charismatic Revival. And there were a lot of wonderful things that happened in the Charismatic Revival. But there were some, like with any revival, there were some bad things that came along as well. And there were people who misused the promises of God. There were people who thought that they could maybe somehow or another, and it became, they became known as the name it, claim it movement. Or some people that wanted to be really derisive would say blab it and grab it movement. And they would take promises from God and they would misuse them. And I recall just, I didn't look this guy up, but I recalled listening to one of those preachers that I went to hear because he had such mass followings and I wanted to go hear him. And it took about an hour to collect the offering, you know, for him to tell them how badly they needed an offering. And then he preached this message about basically how you could you could outfox God because once you claim this promise, God was legally obligated in order to do what God had, you had told God to do by claiming those promises. As I reflected on that, I reflected upon this passage as well because it's tempting sometimes to take the Bible and try to force the hand of God. And that's why I say over and over to you and those of you that have been discovering Woodland, one of the things that you'll know that we're always encouraging you is read your Bibles daily. Seek to memorize several new verses a year or try to memorize one verse a month. Learn to memorize those in context. Learn to piece them together so you know what the Word of the Lord says. So when the enemy comes and misuses a promise, you don't take that promise out of context and then get frustrated frustrated because over the years I've had to deal with a lot of people who were frustrated because how many of you know you're not going to strong arm God? You're not going to twist God. He's God and you and I are not. Amen? And I am glad for that. Personally, I'm glad for that. So let's look at three areas that the enemy will always come, use the word, misuse those promises to try and trip us up. Number one is personal comfort. There's nothing wrong with personal comfort. I love to be comfortable. I hope you're comfortable this morning. We've worked hard to be sure that you're comfortable today. We don't want you to be too comfortable and go to sleep. However, I have put a lot of people to sleep. I had one man just recently tell me walking out the back door. He says, Pastor, that's the best nap I've had in a long time. Well, I was glad I could be of service to him that morning. So, you know, it's just we want you to be comfortable. And the enemy comes to Jesus and he says, you know, if you're the son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. There are more important things in life than your comfort and my comfort. There are more important things in life than bread. And Jesus is not wrong to be hungry and it's not wrong to want to eat, but it would have been wrong for Jesus to have used the power or misused the scriptures to have supplied his own need. One of the things that I think is so important here is for how do you and I apply this to our lives? I don't think any of you, and any, I know I haven't, have ever had the enemy come to us and say, tell these stones to turn to bread. 
But there have been times when I've woke up on a cold winter morning and I have not wanted to get out of the bed because it's so warm beside Becky and I look at the clock and I think, nobody else gets up at 4.30 in the morning. Why should I get up at 4.30 in the morning and pray? That's the enemy tempting me with personal comfort. Recently, I had a man tell me, say, you just don't understand how busy I am. He said, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to do what you did. He pulled out his electronic calendar on his iPhone, and he showed me his phone, and it was a part of me wanted to power up on this guy and show him my appointments because they're often like a log jam was one right after the other, but I didn't. And I, I just said, yeah, you're very busy, but the problem is you don't know who you're getting to talk to. You don't know that you're getting to talk to God because if the president or the governor or the mayor was to ask you for an appointment, you would cancel your appointments and you would proudly say, hey, the president and I are going to talk today. The governor and I are going to talk today. You may not even like the president or the governor, but you would clear your calendar so you could tell people you got to talk to the president or the governor. I said the problem with people who don't pray is they don't know who they're getting to talk to. And just moments ago as we stood together, as Pastor Corey prayed and as you and I prayed together, we were talking to a Father in Heaven who hears us, to a Father in Heaven who sees our hearts, and to a Father in Heaven that the Bible says it is His delight to give to us the Holy Spirit and to give to us the Kingdom of Heaven. Can we give Him a hand of praise for that this morning? So guys, I want to call out to you this morning. I'm asking you men to become men of prayer. Of course, I want the women to pray. Of course, I want the young people to pray. But something will happen if the men of our congregation understand who we get to talk to. God wants to transform our community and your family by men that will rise up and get up a few minutes early to seek His face and to pray. And there's something to be said for just getting along with God and praying and not making an excuse, well, I can pray while I drive. If you're like me while you're driving, you're paying attention to other drivers, you're paying attention to potholes that are in the road, and we have plenty of those in Michigan, don't we? You're paying attention to all the kinds of other things and is constantly interrupting your prayer. Your wife needs your prayers, your children need your prayers, your pastor, your church needs your prayers this morning. And there were at least 40 people who stood up in this congregation today who said, I need a miracle from God that needs you to pray, and our nation and our community needs our prayers. Can you say amen? And so it's important, guys, that we catch hold of this vision and cover our families in prayer. When I was a boy, my daddy wanted me to be a fisherman. He would take me as I got better, and he would take all my stuff, and he'd take me out fishing, and he'd go, boy, can you smell that? And I'd say, no, sir. He says, take a smell. And he could smell the fish when they were bedding. And he would say to me, now put your hook in right here and you're going to catch some fish. And I'd put my hook in and that little cork would go into the water and he'd say, yank it. And I'd yank that thing up. And if I was with daddy, I could catch some fish. If I wasn't with daddy, I couldn't catch any fish. Because I couldn't smell to this day what my daddy could smell. I couldn't see what my daddy could see. And sometimes when I get up in the morning, I remember my daddy saying, fellow, put your hook in here and I'll say Father in heaven I'm asking you to show me where to put my hook at where are the fish biting what are they biting today what do we need and I promise you this as you seek your heavenly Father God is going to guide and direct your footsteps you won't have to worry about bread God is going to supply the bread and fish that you need the second thing that he came to Jesus with was he tempted him to trade worship for power there's nothing wrong with power. I want power with God. I want power when I pray. I believe in the powerful promises of God, but I will never trade worship for power. This morning in the first service, I had the opportunity to be in here for all of the praise and worship. And as we sang together, as we worshiped together, I realized something happens in the heavenlies as we worship the Lord and we honor Him in our hearts. And I turned around and looked at the folks who were here in the first service and you could see their faces light up as they were singing and some were lifting their hands. And in the last song this morning, I could hear you as you were worshiping. But we must never, ever, ever, ever substitute anything for the worship of God and God alone. It's why He deserves the best of our song, the best of our music. Jesus is taken to a place and somehow or another the devil shows Him the glories of the kingdom and the authority over them. He's told, if you will worship Me, 
And a lot of times we're tempted not by what we say with our mouths, but what we do with our hearts. We're tempted to put our jobs. We're tempted to put our recreation. We're tempted to put our finances. We're tempted to put everything else in place of God. We say with our mouths we love Him. And Ezekiel the prophet had to deal with people like that. They say with their mouth. God said, they say with their mouth that they love me, but the way they live their lives, they're not worshiping me. Worship is not just what I do here at church, but it's how I live my life when I go from this church, how I live my life on the job, how I live my life getting up in the morning, covering others with prayer. And I cannot accomplish the work of God with the work of the world. And that's what the enemy was tempting Jesus with. That's what, unfortunately, I think some of those well-meaning, charismatic speakers who got off on the wrong road, just like a paper I did on Pentecostal evangelists numbers of years ago, I couldn't figure out why some of these great Pentecostal evangelists had such signs and wonders in their ministry, and then they got sidetracked. And so I decided to do one of my papers when I was doing my graduate work. I decided to do one of my papers on these famous Pentecostal evangelists. Men who had actually seen people raised from the dead. Men who had seen crippled people healed. People who had saw astounding miracles. Some of them had been arrested in other countries because of the miracles that happened when they prayed with people. They were arrested for this, for practicing medicine without a license. How about that? I would love to be arrested for practicing medicine without a license because when God answers our prayer, miracles happen. Amen? That's the kind of thing I'd like to see happen. But each one of these particular men that I studied got off of track somewhere. And it's because they began to substitute earthly ways for trying to build and expand their ministry. Friends, listen to me. Trust God when you pray. God will open doors that no man can shut and God will shut doors that no man can open. And if we try to open them using worldly means, if we try to open them using what the world says will work, it's not that they won't work. You will get attention. You will get a bigger crowd. You will maybe get more success. I'm going to be honest with you. You could choose to disobey God and not tithe this morning. You'll walk out of here with more money in your pocket than you would have if you gave God your 10% of your tithe this morning. But that doesn't mean in the long run you're going to be successful because the scriptures are very clear in telling us that God then removes his hands of blessings from our finances. I don't know about you. I need the covering of God over my finances. I need the covering of God over my wealth. I need the covering of God over my health. I need the covering of God over my mind. I need the covering of God over my marriage. I've got a precious grandson that I need a miracle from God this morning and I'm asking the windows of heaven to be opened up upon him. And I know you need the same thing this morning. There's not a one of you in this room, no matter how secure you might be or how insecure that you might be, we cannot live without the blessing of God. And then the third thing the enemy tries to do is to get Jesus to force the hand of God. He says, this is when he quotes the scripture to Jesus, he says, jump off. The angels are going to take care of you. That's what the Bible says. But then Jesus cuts him off at the pass and he says, you're not going to force the hand of God. You cannot tempt the Lord. Let me tell you something. Fame is a subtle thing. Go up to the temple. Cast yourself down. If the angels come and rescue you, everybody's going to know you're the Son of God. Now, the key to understanding these temptations is a little preposition that the enemy uses every time. If you're the Son of God. If you're the Son of God. If you're the Son of God. Look at me. Nobody needs to task you this morning if you are a child of God. If you have given your heart to Jesus Christ, you have trusted Him to save you from your sins this morning. You have been washed in the blood. You have not been saved by your works. You have been saved by the grace of Christ. What He did at Calvary and His resurrection, you are a child of God this morning. Can we give Him a hand to praise for that today? Oh... I'm skipping over so much good stuff here. You need to go to the app and get all of this message later on. What Jesus did, what Jesus did countered Adam's failure in the garden. What Jesus did counteracted what Adam had done. His victory over the devil just totally countered Adam's failure. Because when he gained victory in the wilderness over the devil, and you can put that one up for me, Jesus' victory over the devil, 
When he gained victory over the devil, Jesus became the second Adam. Because in the garden, in the garden, the devil came to Eve. Notice he didn't come to Adam. He came to Eve. And he says, you won't die. If you eat this fruit, you will be like God. And that is the quest of every fallen human being. is to be like God. is to be able to live independently of God. is to be able not to have to have God at work in your life. It's somehow or another to get to a place where you don't need God. And from time to time, people have foolishly said to me, I don't need God. I don't need this. And when I say that, I realize what a precipice they are perched upon and ready to fall from. Because everyone needs the Lord. And in Eve's thinking that somehow or another, if I could be like God then I can not only have the, all the other trees of the garden to eat from, if I'm like God, then I can also have this tree, and then I will have this access to this secret knowledge. It's interesting to me that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that we're told to take captive imaginations and to cast them down. I broke that word up one time, imaginations, image nations. Those images that we get in our mind sometime and we begin to fantasize upon those, what we could be like. You see, there's a difference between faith and fantasy. Faith takes the Word of God and says, I am what the Word of God says. Fantasy comes along and says, I don't need God. If I can get this or if I can do that, I will be like God. Somebody said to me recently, says, but the Bible says that we were created just a little lower than God, but that word contextually is this, a little lower than God's, like the fallen angels. We were created just a little lower than those angels. And that's always been the quest of men. The tempter didn't say to Eve, do you wish to be like me? He will never say to you, do you want to be like the devil? He'll say to you, do you want to be like God? It's also interesting, sir, and this is why I'm asking you to pray that the devil didn't come to Adam. Becky's always said, as soon as we get to heaven, she wants to talk to Eve. Eve, why did you do this? Eve, why did you eat that? Eve, look at what happened and all that happened. But it's interesting to me that the devil didn't talk to Adam. He talked to Eve because Adam was meant to be a covering to Eve. Adam was meant to protect his wife. She was taken from his side not to rule over her, but to protect her, to love her, to guard her. And sir, if you're not a man of prayer over your family, you're not covering your wife and your children and your marriage as you're supposed to cover them. And to be a man of prayer doesn't mean you've got to pound the bed or pound the carpet for two or three hours. I promise you there will be those times in life where you will pound the bed or pound the carpet for two or three hours or maybe even through the night. But it's not necessary to pound every day, but we come each day, not because we are capable in ourselves, but our capability is in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it appears to me in the New Testament that the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is demonstrated when the people of God pray. It's why Saturday nights are so special around here. I've never talked to an addict. I've never talked to an alcoholic. I've never talked to anybody whose marriage failed because of immorality. They gave into a lie. Do you want to be an addict? Do you want to be a debauched man? Do you want to see your marriage fall apart? Do you want to see your children hurt? Do you want to see your wife hurt, your husband hurt? Do you want to see the brokenness? No, but there's always that sense of escaping the bounds. And the same battles that Jesus faced, you and I face every single day. But what is interesting to me here is that Jesus doesn't challenge Satan's claim to the kingdoms of the world. He doesn't challenge it. And the reason he doesn't challenge it is because when Adam and Eve were given governance over the garden, when they sinned, listen to me, when they sinned, they gave governance over to the devil. 
Let me just take you back. If you went through the book of Genesis with me on Wednesday night, I went back and read through some of my earlier messages on Genesis and two and a half years we spent in that book. But do you remember we talked about the creation of the earth? That there was something there. I, we don't know. God doesn't give us a lot of insight into it, but we have some insight that we can accurately look at from Isaiah, from the prophets. There was something there that had been created, and because of, of judgment against Lucifer and his fall, the earth was in a massive confusion, and, and this, this place that Satan had been uh, condemned to, and a third of the angels had been swept out of heaven, and then God begins creating what we know as the earth and the planets and the stars and the solar system, the universe now. And in the middle of that garden, he placed this beautiful place called Eden, that he spoke into existence. And then if you were here last week, I talked about this a little bit last week. He, he created, he shaped, he didn't speak, he shaped you and I and he breathed his spirit into us. We became a living soul. Stupendous. Our origins are absolutely miraculous. It's stupendous. Our, origin, our origins are so much more than what we have now. Our origins rival not rival, they outshine the brightest cities in the world. Our origins outshine the brightest kingdoms of the world, the greatest history of the world. Our origins were so powerful and so beautiful. And out of that garden and that creation, there was this intimate fellowship between Adam and Eve and God, and God and Adam and Eve, and even between Adam and Eve as husband and wife together. Beautiful, intimate fellowship. There was an enemy. His name was Lucifer. We talked about this. And that enemy who despised God and who wanted to be not like God, but above God. We, we looked at that, remember, we looked at how he said, I will exalt my throne above God. And how many despots over the years have mocked God and mocked Jesus because they're greater than Jesus. Even some of my rock and roll heroes, the Beatles, saying we're more popular than Jesus. You may be more popular than Jesus, but that doesn't make you Jesus. Hello? You may be better known than Jesus, but that doesn't make you Jesus. And so he attempts to pull away Adam and Eve from God, thinking if I can pull them away, they will serve me. I'll show God. I swept a third of the angels, I'll sweep this. But what he didn't realize is when Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't submit to God and they didn't submit to the devil. Now they wanted their will in the universe. And so now you've got this battle between God and Satan, between God and man, or man and God, and Satan and God. And you've got to remember, there's no equals in this. God is above all and for all. But God in His mercy chose to save us. I'm going to skip, if you would, to verse, chapter 3, verse 17 in Genesis. So God said to the man, He said, You listened to your wife, and you ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. The ground is cursed because of you, and all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Now, sir, listen to me. Sin will always make you think that you're going to gain freedom. Sin will always make you think that somehow or another, if you will just give in to sin, you're going to know love, you're going to know joy, you're going to know peace, you're going to prosper. But sin always does to people what it did to Adam and Eve. It brings separation, it brings rejection, it brings darkness, it brings loneliness, it brings shame. When Adam and Eve yielded in sin, they were not only separated because of their sin from God, but suddenly they became separated from one another. And all of a sudden, this creation that we had our origins in, so stupendous, suddenly it battles against us as well. And we will struggle to make a, make a living from this ground. And now you find man, rather than stewarding it, and please don't think that I am a a climate change fanatic with what I'm about to say, although I believe there is some wisdom that there are changes happening. But the, 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 the answer is not trying to preserve. You can't preserve anything without killing it. Put it in a jar and seal it up. 
But rather than being stewards and conserving it, man has battled ground. And so we live in an area of where we're told we can't eat the fish. If daddy said, drop a hook here, fella, and you can catch some fish, I got to throw it back. There are signs up everywhere. Don't eat the fish here. There are fields here that I'm told we can't plant in. There's a little field right down Peter's Road next to us that was known as one of the dirtiest fields in all of Michigan. And little children from the, from the mobile home park across the way were playing in that park because man did not conserve. The enemy will always promise you freedom and liberty, but what he produces is nothing but conflict and war. And when it happens, when it happens, people don't judge the devil. Fallen people don't go, oh, the devil is at fault for this. They judge God. And Satan will always tempt us then to judge God falsely. I never have people coming to me going, oh, the devil is to blame for all of this. If they do, it's like a joke. Remember Flip Wilson, if you're old enough? The devil made me do it. I read a cute little story. It's not true, but it's, you know, I don't even know why I need to tell you it's not true, but I thought it was cute. This couple was trying to conserve their finances, and his wife came home with a beautiful dress, and he looked at her, and he says, honey, I thought we were trying to save and not spend so much. She says, well, I don't know. She said, I just looked at this and, and it was so pretty. It looked so good on. I just, the devil made me do it. He said, you should have said, get thee behind me, Satan. She said, I did. And he said, it looks good from back here too. <laughs> you see, but what people do is they blame God. I get that question at least once a week. Why did God? God is not out to punish you. God punished Jesus for our sins at Calvary. God is out to bless you. And when you live under the covenant of his promises, then God will allow you to come into places, and I'm running out of time, so I'm going to skip again. If you'll just go to... And I'll tell the story where the children of Israel were crossing the wilderness. They, they, they ran out of water and so they came to a place they couldn't drink the water and so they grumbled and they complained. God told Moses what to do. He says, cut down a tree. He said, it'll make the water sweet. The tree was symbolic of the cross. They get water. They're happy again. Then they run out of meat and so they grumble because they're tired of manna and so God sends them quail. They grumble again. And all their grumbling just keeps continuing till one day... Uh, some of them began to grumble in such a way that God, and it's a true story, God allows the earth to swallow up these grumblers and these complainers, you know. Moses, to me, was an example of great leadership. He didn't respond to their grumbling. He didn't grumble back at them. He didn't complain against them. He didn't get mad at them. The Bible says he just laid on his face and prayed. There's power when you pray. God laid on his face, and I mean, Moses laid on his face and prayed. The ground opened up and swallowed him. You say, well, pastor, what lesson did you take from that? You're skipping all of those scriptures. We'd like to read them. Get the app. You can read them on the app. The lesson I take from that is don't grumble. It doesn't take a doctor's diploma to get that, right? Don't grumble. Don't complain. You see, God is not vindictive. But let me, let me come out here. <clears throat> God is not vindictive. But when we aren't covering our families, just think like an umbrella. When we're not covering our families, we allow them to get exposed. Aaron, that's why it's so important. You pray for Alex and you pray for your son and your daughter. That's why it's so important that you pray for your grandchildren. Well, you're not grandparents yet, but you will be. That's not a prophecy, but you will be, I'm confident. That's why it's so important that we cover one another, pray for one another. That, and if I can even stress this, America has long since lost this, but that's why it's so important that men and women of faith who are skilled in what they do, not just because they're a Christian, but men and women who are skilled in faith, are leaders in this country. And that's why it's important that people like Bob Saunders who sits on city council, it's people of faith who, who lead because they provide covering for our community. You know, if you have people without faith, then they say, oh, 
we can get all the tax benefits from drugs or we can get all the tax benefits from prostitution. We can get all the tax benefits from this and that and the other. And it sounds good. It's what the devil said to Jesus. He says, if you will do this, there will be authority. If you'll do this, there will be bread. If you'll do this, there's never a better way than God's way. There's never a better way than God's way. And as people of prayer, as we cover our families, we know that. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The desert is a terrible, terrible place to be. I walk through that wilderness area. I climb part of that mountain. I sit on those rocks and I journaled and I meditated. I cried because sitting there, I just wondered, what would I have done? In my journal back in those days, when you're still handwriting everything, you could, what would I have done, Jesus? What would I have passed this test? And then I wrote, I would never be tested like Jesus, but I will always be tested in a way that God will allow to grow my faith. And you're not going to be tested the way I'm tested. I'm not going to be tested the way you're tested. Some of you that stood that you need a miracle this morning, and I didn't plan that. I just really felt like the Lord wanted to minister to you, but I do feel like this is a word for you. Those of you that stood that you need a miracle this morning, I've probably never been tested the way that you're being tested right now. But there is a God who knows you and who loves you, and if you will continue to pray, and we're going to pray with you, you're going to see a breakthrough in your life. Andrew Brunson, remember him? The pastor that was held prisoner in Turkey for almost two years? Andrew Brunson was speaking at Wheaton University. You can watch that online. But he talks about how that he, he came to a place alone in that cell, terrified. He was charged as a spy. He didn't know what he was going to do. He missed his family. And he's alone in that cell. And he says, I, I just began to say, God, I can't feel your presence. I can't feel your presence. The fear had gripped his heart. And he says, then I didn't realize it. But suddenly I began saying, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And if you never deliver me from this prison cell, I love you, Jesus. He said that breakthrough came in that prison cell as he just began to worship the Lord. There is power in prayer and in worship this morning. Can we give him another hand of praise today? The second thing I take from this is be on guard against self-centeredness. And all of us tend to be, in our own way, self-centered. I was asking some of the young folk here in our church who are using dating apps. And I won't give any names, but we have folks in our church, you've met your spouse through a dating app. And I, I just wanted to know what they were like. And I was afraid if I downloaded a dating app to see what it was like. And Becky looked at my phone, I wouldn't live to see another day. So... I went to those of you using dating apps and said, show me how to do it. And boy, you're scrolling through and man, there are a lot of beautiful people out there. <laughs> I mean, how we look through smart people, beautiful people, and I'm looking at, well, what about this one? And the guy's showing me, and I, again, I won't say, but I want to say so bad. He says, no, I could never, never date that woman. I go, why? Because she is a St. Louis Cardinals fan. <laughs> I looked at him and said, you dummy. I would never let somebody be in a Cardinals fan. Maybe a Tide fan. That might make a difference. Alabama fan. But never. You know, how self-centered are we? These dating apps. And I, and, I, and I didn't say that then. But let me just tell you now. Everything in this digital world is designed for you to get somebody perfect just for you. Here's what your pastor wants to say to you this morning. Marriage is not between two perfect people. <laughs> She's not perfect. Almost. I'm not perfect. Not by a long shot. Marriage is two very broken, two very flawed people coming into a loving relationship with one another and a loving God who works through our brokenness to build something wonderful and beautiful that imitates what the love of Christ is like for His church this morning. And if you're self-centered, you're looking for somebody then that's going to meet all your needs she doesn't exist, buddy. 
You're meeting for, looking for somebody who's going to meet all your needs. She doesn't exist, sweetheart. He doesn't exist, sweetheart. Last night, we got home from prayer service. We're sitting down, and we're having a little dinner to eat. I'm having a little dinner, and I look over at Becky. She's got the shirt I got on this morning. She's sewing a button on because I busted a button. Pray for me. I'm getting too fat. And she was putting a button back on the shirt for me, and I just looked at her. She had a busy day yesterday, full day, and I'm eating, and there she is sitting there sewing. To me, Becky represents just the opposite of what self-centeredness is about. Jesus represents to me what the opposite of self-centeredness is about. For Jesus came to die for our sins. Look at Philippians 3, 18. I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. There are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. Now notice something. There's nothing wrong with appetite. The shameful thing is about sex. There's nothing wrong with sex. God created all of that. And there's everything good about life here on this earth. But if you make those imaginations, if you make those fantasies, if you make those idols, you're turning stone to bread. You're bowing down to worship someone else. You're trying to force the hand of God. And that's what Jesus came to save us from. That's what started this mess and the whole place. So let's wrap it up with our growth work this morning. Again, a real devil. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. My great enemy, and I'm taking a real chance here. My great enemy is not Kim Jong-un. We prayed for him in the service last night. We're taking the 50 most persecuted nations in the world, and each week this year we're praying for one of those nations where Christians are the most persecuted at. So we prayed, what would happen if God saved Kim Jong-un? Maybe something like happened with Paul. Maybe something like happened with Constantine. I know a lot of people love to just blast Constantine. Constantine is not at fault for the church getting in bed with the government. Constantine had a genuine conversion. What would happen if God saved one of these 50 dictators we're, we're praying for this year. My great enemy is not, as President Trump likes to call him, Shifty Adam Shift. <laughs> My great enemy is not President Trump. My great enemy is not a Republican or a Democrat. It's not a Russian or Korean. It's not Chinese or Arabs. My great enemy is the devil. And watch, because he goes about like a roaring. He prowls around like a roaring lion. And he's looking for someone to devour. Now that's, that's a little bit frightening to me. Now hang with me, because I know I'm going just a little longer this morning, but hang with me. I'm preaching through 1 Peter right now. So I've already worked on all of this. Peter's writing this to the church. He's not writing this to the world. So as your pastor, I'm trying to be a covering. I'm asking the small group leaders to be coverings for your small groups. I'm asking the ministry leaders to be coverings for your groups that you lead in ministry. For you dads, I'm asking you. For you, you single moms, I'm asking you to let the church... Because what this says to me as a pastor is that weekly the devil is prowling, looking for someone to devour. The good news, he can't devour you. The bad news is if you drop your guard 
and you don't take this message seriously about serving a perfect God in a broken and imperfect world, you could be one of His victims. I've done this long enough to have to walk through people through too much of that mess to see God rescue them but be scarred by things they never should be scarred by to carry memories they should never carry for children to carry memories they should never have to carry for spouses to carry memories they never have to carry for people to live with regret and, and try to get over the guilt and for me as much as I tell them God has forgiven you your family's forgiven you've got to move on but somehow or another the enemy comes back with that imagination that image nation are you listening to me this morning that image nation in your mind that says, you're not a man of God. You're not a woman of God. You're, you're not a Christian. You did this. And all of that has been forgiven and covered by the blood of Jesus. When you ask Christ to forgive you of your sins and you seek forgiveness from your family or anyone else that you hurt, all of that is covered. But then you have to make a deliberate, deliberate, deliberate choice to choose whether like the prodigal son, you will accept the ring on your finger and a robe on your back and a feast that is thrown for you when the fatty calf is slain because the Father will not hold your sins against you. But that's a much bigger battle than what it sounds like for me to tell you from this pulpit. Because in the dark of the night, the enemy comes to you. Or alone, the enemy comes to you. Or sometimes in a moment of pain, your teenager says to you something that pierces you. And I don't want you. I don't want you to experience that. I don't want you to wrestle with that. So, Pastor, what do I do? Come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Come under the Lordship of Jesus. Let Him be the boss. Let Him be the commander. Let Him be the ruler of your life, your destiny. He's in charge. But look here, look at me now. Listen, to be under His Lordship, God is not going to ask you, hey, what do you think if we do this? I, I, I go to the staff. I said, what do y'all think if we do this? I'll go to the board. What do you think if we do this? And I, I try to get consensus. I come to the church. I'm saying, what do you think if we do this? I, I like building consensus. But you see, I, I'm not a Lord. But Jesus is Lord. And there's no vote. You either do what Jesus did in the wilderness. And you say yes to God. Yes, sir, I'll follow you wherever you go, whatever you, I'll follow you. You may have flubbed up, you may have messed up, but you determine from this point on, I'm going to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And by the way, this Lord that we serve, he's my very best friend. Because I have come to find out that Jesus has nothing but good intended for me. He has come to bless me. And when I live under his covering, I am blessed, I am blessed, I am blessed. Somebody say amen this morning. That's what it means to live there. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ. Which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he'll bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and earth, and furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we've received an inheritance in Christ, for He chose us in advance. Read this out loud with me. He makes everything work out. He makes everything work out. Can I tell you, as someone that has had to come to the Lord so many times and say, I'm sorry, that's had to go to people so many times and say, I'm sorry, there's something about coming under the Lordship of Christ. God makes everything work out. The second thing is live out this new life then. Don't just talk about it on Sunday morning. Be a passionate follower of Christ. God doesn't want you living 
and guilt. God doesn't want you living in rejection. God doesn't want you living in fear. God doesn't want you living in anxiety. As a matter of fact, I will be so bold as to say this this morning. If you're sick, if you're suffering, God doesn't want you living in fear of that, but He wants you to stand up and say, Lord, I want to be like that woman who touched the hem of your garment. I want to be like that blind man who cried out, Lord Jesus, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. And people would say, shh, shh, shh. Lord, have mercy. And Jesus said, call that screaming man over here. He said, what do you want? He says, I want to see. That kind of faith pleases God. That kind of faith is bold. That kind of faith, if you'll pardon my French, scares the devil right back into hell. Because he doesn't know what to do with a person that unashamedly and unabashedly cries out, God, have mercy. And then finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so, you'll not be able to, so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Say that word, strategies. Say it again, strategies. Any chess players in here? No chess players? Couple? How many of you got a favorite strategy that works? Come on. Yeah. I don't like you. Anybody in here, you got a strategy for your company, your job that your company works on? Can I see your hand? Yeah. Anybody here in the military, you ever had to study strategy? Can I see your hand? Sure, tactics. The enemy has strategies. So the Bible says you can stand firm against those strategies because you're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I'm really going out on a limb here, but I just, my heart. Some of you, the problem is not the temptation you're facing. It's the strategy the devil has against you and your family. And you need to recognize that. Some of you, you're battling something this morning. And you can't get that image nation, that imagination out of your head. And you're thinking, if I can get this, if I can have this, if I can experience this. And you know who I'm talking to because right now you feel like God's just got his finger on your heart. If I can get this, or her, or him, or that position, this thing, this house, this, this whatever promotion, this thing that you're compromising your faith for, you're compromising your integrity for, that thing will be what the fruit of that tree was to Adam and Eve. It will not satisfy you because there is a strategy against you. You say, Pastor, why me? Because the devil not only hates God, he hates you, he hates me, and he hates this message that I preached this morning. He hates this message because if you listen and you choose to become a man or a woman of prayer and of worship and the Word of God, you're going to defeat the enemy in Jesus' name. Amen? Stand with me. Let me pray for you.
Now, Holy Father, I just want to wait upon you with every head bowed and every eye closed in this room. No one in the sound room looking around, no ushers looking around. Right now, every head bowed and every eye closed. This is a vulnerable moment. You say, Pastor, I feel like there's a strategy against me. I'm really battling something right now. Would you lift up your hand and hold it there for just a moment? All over the building. Hold it up high. Don't be ashamed. Hold it. You're lifting. Do you know who you're lifting your hand? You're not lifting to me, but to God. Hold it up high. Oh, my Father. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you look around, I will call you out and ask you to leave this sanctuary. That is a promise. Don't force me on that. Now lift that. You're just, it's just you and me and the Lord. Lift that other hand to the Lord right now. I'm going to pray over you. Every head stay bowed. Now, Holy Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we throw ourselves underneath the blood of Jesus and the authority of the Word of God. We cast ourselves upon you. Help, Lord. Help, for the enemy is prowling like a roaring lion about our life right now. But our confidence is in you. Through our God we shall do valiantly. Through our God we shall overcome. And so now, Lord, I'm asking you to look behind every hand, down into every heart, in every section of this church. And Lord, grant them peace. You've got this. You've got to keep that hand up. You're lifting to the Lord. Now, the moment you feel in your spirit, God's got this. In church, you're praying, aren't you, right now? People are praying. There's people standing beside you praying. The moment you sense in your spirit, God's got this, would you just begin to lower your hands so I'll know that you, you've got the peace of the Lord that passes understanding. That's it. There's some hands slipping down. That's it. I know God's got, don't, don't put it down unless you feel that peace. God's got this. I need some more people praying. Some of you that are praying in the Spirit. Would you pray in the Spirit right now? You don't have to know who it is. Just pray. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, free us from fear. Free us from anxiety. Lord, heal our sick bodies. Restore our broken homes, Lord. Save our children, Lord. Father, heal our finances, O oh God. We confess our sins to you, Lord. And we ask you, forgive them. Lord, cast down, we cast down that imagination. We are not who the devil says we are. We are who Christ says we are. We're asking you this in the name of Jesus. Almost every hand is down now. Just a couple more. Would you keep praying? Hallelujah. That's not encouragement for you to put your... Don't put it down until you feel the peace of God. Hallelujah. 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 I don't think I've ever done that in 43 years of ministry, but I think that was what the Lord wanted done right there. Can we give Him a hand of praise right now? In the name of Jesus Christ. Now look here for just a second. You are not alone. There were people all over this building, lots of people saying, there's a strategy. And right now, that peace you have, that's from the Holy Spirit. That's not an emotional thing. That's God witnessing to your spirit. You walk in that. And you find somebody, your small group leader, your husband, your, your wife, a friend, Share it with one of the pastors. Let us, for all of you that I can remember, if you'll text me, email me, or give me a card, I promise you I'll be praying for you every day. I won't ever tell who you are, but I'll be praying for you every day this week. God's got this. Amen?